From the Tulsa world, this is the OU Sports Extra Podcast, sponsored by Albert G's Barbecue. Here are your hosts, Eric Bailey and Mason Young. Oklahoma coming off a big 34-30 win over Texas. I think that they're still on a high coming off that win. Number five in the country. Uh, everyone's still talking about the win. Huge win. A lot of momentum built. A lot of confidence going into the off week. Uh, we're seeing videos being made by social media. Uh, it's it's a game that they'll be talking about for a long time, at least until they play UCF on October the uh, October the twenty first. But uh, huge game, huge win, huge win for the Sooners. Right, that uh, video that they put out last night, the Danny Stutzman pregame speech was uh, pretty chilling. Pretty chilling. They're talking about uh, there's only I know two things. Oklahoma only fears God and, and Texas fears Oklahoma. I mean, that's a, that's an all-time quote. And it sounds like maybe there's being some t-shirts made off that. And uh, some people have been saying it's the new, uh, it's the new Malcolm Kelly freestyle, uh, the Texas version of the legendary Nebraska rap. So uh, yeah, the, there's definitely, there's definitely still high. Um, Brent Venable spent a lot of time Monday night at media availability talking about the goal line stand and how that um, play, those plays in the Texas game, you know, kind of set the standard. It's plays like that, that you want to build the culture of your program on. So uh, man, that, that game is, is going to continue. You're going to look back probably in a few years and see it as a foundational piece of uh, the success that Oklahoma is looking to have moving forward under Brent Venables. Moving forward, just one last look at the OU-Texas game. It really sets the Sooners up high going into the second half of the season. The bye week comes at an opportune time, too. It allows them to heal up. A lot of the players get to go home this weekend, and they're going to get to go home on a high. They're going to get pats on the back. But the key is maintain that intensity, maintain that focus. Uh, for the beat riders, all the beat uh, – Oklahoma has a healthy amount of beat riders, too – they get to go home and relax. Uh, I get to go visit my daughter in Florida. I'm going to go see my daughter, uh, Justine, who works at Disney World. So uh, I'm going to go to Disney, Disney Magic Kingdom. We're going to go ride some rides and hang out and get to meet her new boyfriend for the first time face-to-face. So that'll be interesting. I can't wait to do that. So some R&R for us, too. Um, but, you know, what? the funny thing is when we hit the midseason point of the season, we get to talk about, kind of reflect on what's happened during the first half of the season, and then look forward to the second half of the season. And last year, uh, it was a three-game losing streak uh, at the midpoint of the season. This year, Oklahoma 6-0, and uh, barreling through the schedule, and uh, look, get to look ahead. Uh, we won't know what the college football playoff holds until October 31st. That's the first year that the rankings come out. But we can look at midseason report card, midseason grades, what we think. And Mason and I have kind of put together a little format of kind of looking ahead and seeing what we think so far. And uh, let's, let's just go down the line here, Mason. Uh, let me ask you, right now, who is your Offensive Player of the Year at the midseason point? Uh, who, who would you pick for Offensive Player of the Year? Yeah, uh, there's an obvious choice, but um, I'll, I'll go I'll go with the non-obvious, kind of the secondary choice probably, and, and talk about Jalil Farouk. Um, you know, obviously put up a career high. I think it was 130 yards against Texas. He also had 126 against Tulsa and a pretty dynamic return in that game. Um, he really has emerged as that number one receiver for OU. Uh, you know, you think about Nick Anderson as a red zone weapon and what Andrew Anthony was doing before his injury in terms of being the deep threat. But Farouk is really just very well-rounded. Uh, he makes the 
he can make some long catches. He makes the short intermediate catches. Uh, he runs on, on sweeps and plays like that. And uh, his speed is, is definitely a big factor uh, for this OU offense. So uh, it's, it's been really impressive to uh, see him step into his own. I think people kind of wondered maybe earlier in the season, um, especially after like the first game when Anthony was so big, you know, if if that was going to happen, if if you were going to really see Farouk emerge as the number one guy, but he has, and OU's going to need that to continue uh, from him moving forward this season with uh, Anthony going down with the season-ending injury. Of course, since you went with Farouk, I'll go with the obvious guy, Dylan Gabriel, coming off uh, just a monumental game against Texas, uh, the game-winning throw. Uh, 285 yards, 113 rushing yards, first player in OE history to throw for 250, run for 100 against Texas in this game. Uh, you know, look at the season stats, 16 touchdowns, only two interceptions. Uh, he won every award imaginable, every national award imaginable, you know, Walter Camp, uh, Big 12 Player of the Year, or Player of the Week excuse me, as you know, I have to think he's the, uh, the, the leader for Big 12 Offensive Player of the Year. Uh, he's done it all. And, and the thing he's done, it, he's, he's played mature, he's played with composure, he's played with poise, uh, and he's brought a threat running the football this season. We didn't really see that that much this year, last year, but we're seeing it this year. He's the third leading rusher, at least the team in rushing touchdowns already. He has five rushing touchdowns. Uh, so Jeff Levy is really using his legs with his play calls. Uh, not a lot of scrambles. There's some quarterback actual, you know, quarterback run calls. Uh, we saw in that last drive uh, against Texas, you know, the next to last play was a designed quarterback run. Uh, they're not afraid to run the ball with Dylan Gabriel, and uh, he's really proven himself. Uh, and, and it's not just what he's doing on the field, you know, with his legs, with his arm. It's just the leadership role that he's had on this team. And that's what has impressed me a lot with Dylan. Uh, he's playing like a fifth-year senior should. Uh, and all this attention that's coming his way, uh, I really think that he knows how to handle it. He's humble. And that's what impressed me the, the most. As this as this team continues to have success, as this team goes, he he goes as as he goes, this team goes. And that's what's impressed me the the, the most. So uh, just excited to see what happens with this offense uh, during the back half of this year. Let's move to the defensive side of the ball. Uh, defense player of the year. I'm gonna I'm gonna switch gears and and I'll go first this time. I'm gonna go with the uh, quarterback Gentry Williams, uh, Booker T. Washington graduate. Uh, thumbs up to the nine one eight. Uh, Tulsa Public Schools. I'm a Tulsa Public Schools guy, went to East Central, so uh, a little bit of excitement there, seeing a TPS kid do well. Uh, Gentry Williams, uh, here's a guy, scary, scary moment last spring, last March in, 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 in camp, uh, taking the hospital with, a, you know, an incident, a health scare. Uh, we didn't know what his, his future was going to hold, and now here he is, leads the team with three interceptions, uh, you know, had a big pick against Texas, the second play of the game. And it's not just his coverage skills, but just the physicality that he plays with. He's able to make things happen. Had a fumble recovery uh, this game. Almost had two fumble recoveries in the game against Texas. Uh, he's just a playmaker. And, you know, when you have Woody Washington on the other side of the ball and Gentry on this side, uh, it's been a while since Oklahoma has been able to say that they've had two lockdown corners. And that's what they had. And, and the good thing about the depth that Oklahoma has at cornerback, Gentry hasn't had to play every snap. He's been able to get some breaks, and that's kept him fresh in the fourth quarter. So I, I've just been impressed with Gentry Williams uh, from, from game one, Arkansas State. He's really, really played well, and I think that's going to be someone to watch in the late going. Um, 
Uh, so we'll see what happens. He, you know, he has, I think, four tackles for loss this year as well, too. So he's getting in the backfield. He's he's breaking up those quick screen. Uh, you know, teams aren't able to get the quick screen game going, too, because he's fast. He's not only physical, he's fast. So just impressed with what he's doing. Looking forward to his future as well. Uh, your defensive player of the, of the year is just as obvious as my offensive player of the year was. Yeah, I mean, you talked about as the as OU goes, Dylan Gabriel goes well for the OU defense and, and really for OU more broadly, that also relates to Danny Stutzman. They're going to go as he goes. He's he's playing like one of the best linebackers in the country right now. He he, you know, is is likely if he keeps this up, going to have a shot at the butt kiss award when it's all said and done. Uh, he's playing the most snaps of anybody on the defense and he's doing it well. He's not getting tired. He's well-conditioned. He's not making mistakes. He's learned so much. Uh, Brent Venables has talked so often about the growth of just trying to be the funny guy to actually being really serious about football and asking for a playbook to now he's to the point where he he got projector stuff for his house and he's having the linebackers over to watch film, you know, on a regular basis and leading that. We talked about the the at the top of this the pregame speech and how that really seemed to galvanize the team going into this game. Uh, he he's just been everything you could ask for. He's a reincarnation of a lot of the guys that you've seen from OU in the past. When you think about a, a Ted Lehman or a Brian Bosworth and whatnot, um, he's playing like that that star linebacker that OU fans have, have come to know and love and appreciate. And uh, like I said before, I think uh, he's going to definitely get some some national award consideration when it's all said and done, if he keeps this up. The prize player of the year, uh, someone we didn't know going into the season, who was going to be the guy to, to kind of keep an eye on. And uh, I think my pick for this on the offensive side of thing uh, is Nick Anderson, the, the hero of the Texas game. Got the three-yard touchdown pass, the game-winning touchdown pass, uh, but that's not the only touchdown pass he's caught. He, he has six touchdown grabs this year, 11 catches, six of them for touchdowns, 11 catches for 282 yards, averaging 25.6 yards at reception. Uh, it's amazing how, how when he gets on the field, all he does is catch touchdowns. He reminds me of kind of a Lee Morris a little bit What when Lee Morris, before, the former walk-on for the Sooners. Um Nick Anderson, of course, is the younger brother, Rodney Anderson, but we're, we're, we need to stop saying that because Lee Moore, uh, excuse me, because Nick Anderson is his own player. He's he's really creating his own legacy at Oklahoma. And it's just impressed me how he's gone out there and really created his own, uh, just his own playmaking abilities and creating opportunities for him. And with Andre Anthony out now, I think he's going to get more and more opportunities to make plays. And I think that's good for the offense. We've seen how much, Dylan Gabriel has faith in Nick Anderson when he goes out there and plays, uh, you know, at 27.9 yards per reception coming into the game, he led the nation in, in yards per catch. Uh, that number dipped with that three yard catch, but now it's only 25.6, which is still a pretty, pretty high number. So uh, looking forward to seeing his continued growth. Uh, you know, I, I think uh, Jeff Levy wants to get the ball in his hands more and anxious to see the second half of his season. Uh, your your pick for uh, surprise player of the year? Yeah, uh, I've got kind of a couple guys on the defense that seem to to kind of fit that bill. Uh, you know, Jaron Kanick uh, being an every game starter at linebacker and playing as many snaps as he's playing, maybe not as many as Danny Stutzman, but still quite a, a few. That's been very very impressive. Um, 
couple couple other guys you think about key lawrence um you know i think going into the season you kind of wondered with uh reggie pearson and peyton bowen coming in if his playing time was going to be reduced a lot if the writing was kind of on the wall for him but he's stepped up and and he's now playing his best football he's starting uh he's doing everything that's asked of him and yeah there have been some moments where you know he's had a mistake or two but by and large he's been a lot more sound player um and and uh consistently uh doing the right thing uh than we've seen previously in his OU career uh the other guy and I just mentioned him is Peyton Bowen just the impact that he's already had as a freshman uh blocking two punts one against SMU one against Iowa State forcing a fumble against Texas uh He's obviously, whether it's at the cheetah position or it's as a true safety, uh, he's forced the OU coaches to play him. And, you know, I only expect that to continue. He only should get more playing time as the season moves along. As we hit the second half, the final six games of the regular season, who do you think is poised to have a breakout in the second half? Maybe someone who we've seen sparks of during the first half, but who's poised to have a second half breakout? Yeah, I think for the defense, it's uh, it's PJ. Uh, well, I'm, <laughs> the last name. Don't ask me. It's uh, still so. Adebore, Adebore. I I think it's that's not right. I think it's like, <laughs> I think it's like Adebolara almost. Yeah. Um, we were told there's five syllables. Yeah, I think it's Adebolara or close to that. Uh, but yeah, I mean, obviously he's shown some flashes early. Uh, he had a sack against Tulsa and and continues to earn more playing time. Brent Venables talked about uh, there was a story he told a couple weeks ago of he was watching some of the tape on the plane ride home and he saw a play PJ made and immediately got up and went to Miguel Chavis and was like, hey, play him more. Uh, so, yeah, he he's I mean, obviously five star recruit coming in. His brother was a first round NFL draft pick. He just oozes potential. Uh, you had a feeling that he was going to be a, a pretty good player in the long run for OU, and he's already showing it early. Mason, I want to go with an offensive lineman, someone we saw in the Texas game. I want to go with Caden Green, uh, you know, the guard, offensive guard who came in and just showed physicality. And, and it's not often you see a true freshman come in and make plays, but that's what they asked. That's what Bill Bo- Beatonbow asked him to come in and do. And he really stepped up to the challenge. I mean, how often do you see a true freshman come in in that type of atmosphere, that type of game, and, and play the way he did? And I remember I, I went up last December when he was still a high school student up at Lee Summit and 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 talked to him. And um, we we talked about his commitment to Oklahoma, and we talked about you know how he chose Oklahoma. And uh, he, he talked about Orlando Brown and Creed Humphrey having a, a, a role in his recruitment and how he looked up to them. They were up at Kansas City. Uh, Orlando still played for Kansas City at the time. And Creed, of course, is an outstanding center for the Chiefs. And he talked about how they they played a role in his recruitment and how he looked up to them. And, and you know, he just wondered what kind of career he was going to have. Well, now with McCabe Tower going out, and, you know, uh, Brent said it was an ankle sprain and, you know, it's going to be no, no timetable, but, you know, it's going to be sooner rather than later. So we'll see what happens with his his rehab and how soon he's going to be back. But I think that's going to put um, Caden Green on the field even more. It's going to be fun to watch him and see how he progresses and matures as a, a, on the offensive line. I think he's going to be an important fixture on the offensive line, not only the rest of this year, but for years to come. 
and just that physicality that he plays with. And he's a large man too. So I, I just want to see him, his growth uh, and his trajectory at that position moving forward. Uh, it's going to be fun to watch. Let's, let's move from, um, from players to coaches. And this is a hard, we, we were talking before we started this podcast. This is, this is kind of the hard one to pick. Um, you, you want to pick position coach of the year so far at the midpoint of the season. Who would be your mid midseason position coach of the year? This, this is a difficult one. I'm kind of teetering between two, one on offense, one on defense. I think the offensive one, and it, it's it's really pretty obvious, is Emmett Jones. Uh, you think about just the development that uh, he's put into these wide receivers, what he's getting out of guys like Nick Anderson and Jaden Gibson that really didn't play at all last year, whether it was injuries or ineffectiveness. Uh, and just continuing to sharpen the skills of Jalil Farouk and Drake Stoops and putting them in good positions to succeed. Uh, Emmett Jones has, has been everything OU and Brent Venables could have hoped for when they hired him away from Texas Tech. And, oh, by the way, like he's killing it on the recruiting trail. Uh, so he's been everything that they could have asked for. On the defensive side, I think a guy that's that's maybe not getting enough love is Jay Belai. He's helping out with special teams. He's He's been a part of drawing up some of the success they've had, uh, specifically the punt blocks by Bowen. And uh, that group going into the season, uh, you had Woody Washington that you knew was going to be a lockdown corner on one side, but you, you weren't, I guess, super confident about what that group looked like. And obviously he's he's made Gentry Williams into a really good player, and he's gotten a lot out of, out of the reserves, whether it's Kanai Walker or Kendall Dolby. So uh, Jay Belai has done a really good job as well. I, I'm going to go with uh, defensive and I'm going to go with the front, defensive front. I'm going to go with Todd Bates and Miguel Chavis, what they've been able to get out of that group. Uh, depth, of course, has helped. But the way that Oklahoma is using that depth on, on the de- interior and the defensive ends, the edge rushers, uh, those coaches, we see all the videos, the motivation that those two coaches give their players. And they're not only using words, they're using coaching ability to get the most out of those players. And it really truly seems like all those players, uh, to a man, they would run through a wall for these coaches. And uh, we saw how physical the defensive interior linemen and those edge rushers, uh, how much they impacted the game against Texas. And that's what impressed me the most. What Todd Bates and Miguel Chavis are getting out of those players is truly impressive. And, and we're seeing it on the recruiting front, too, with what they're getting what kind of players they're drawing in and not only the high school players, but in the transfer portal, Oklahoma had some definite needs this coming into this season uh, on both in the interior and on the edge. And they really, those portal, they hit the portal hard and the, the fits that they got through the portal to fill those voids was huge. And that's a key reason why they're six and zero. Now the future, they're, they're going to have to hit it hard again, going to the sec, because that's where games are won and lost on, on the line. And these two coaches, they're going to be responsible for filling those voids and, and really filling those needs that are uh, going to really kind of fit those, fit those what's needed to win at games of the SEC. But I think those two coaches are huge, and they, they've done an outstanding job. Miguel Chavis, remember, this is his first coaching job, and uh, he, this is his second year as a full-time coach, and he's he's doing a great job uh, on uh, working with defensive ends. Um, now, as we as we get into the second half of the season, uh, six games left, Big 12. Oklahoma's heavy, heavy favorites. We look at all these ESPN projections. Uh, I think uh, when we saw, I think they're 90% favorites to win every game in the, in the regular season. Of course, any coach will tell you nothing's easy. 
No, there's never an easy game, but Oklahoma should be, you know, I've, I've even read double digit favorites in every remaining game, but don't tell Brent Venables and his staff that they will never buy that. But when we look at this, what do you think is the toughest remaining game for the Sooners on their schedule? Toughest remaining game. I, I think it's, it's Kansas. Obviously the Jayhawks are ranked number 23. They, uh, you know, it, it'll be a different dynamic if OU goes to Lawrence in two weeks and, you know, they're facing Jason Bean and not Jalen Daniels. I think Kansas is exponentially a, a, a greater threat if Jalen Daniels is healthy, but it sounds like he's not going to play against OSU this week. And so you wonder about uh, his status moving forward. But obviously, if you think back to what happened the last time OU played in uh, Lawrence in 2021, and I, and I know this is a very different team and a completely different coaching staff since then, but, you know, they came out really flat in a game that was really just chaotic. Um, and, you know, if you, if you, that's, if you do that against Kansas, you know, they're, they're going to show up. Um, Oklahoma always gets every team's best. And so, um, you know, the Jayhawks look like a lot better team this year than they've been in years past. And, and maybe they're, they're kind of the best fit to give OU some trouble moving forward. I'm going to go, of course, with uh, Bedlam because you never know what's going to happen in Bedlam. That's just that's just it. You just never, never know what's going to happen in Bedlam. Uh, and we've seen too many crazy things happen over the years. This is going to be the last Bedlam. Uh, Stillwater, it's already a sold-out game. Uh, this is going to be a Super Bowl game for uh, Oklahoma State. They're going to want to win. They're going to want to spoil Oklahoma, especially if Oklahoma is undefeated and a top-five team coming into Stillwater. They're going to play their hearts out, and I think that's going to be something. They're going to get uh, OSU's best shot. Uh, we'll, we'll see how Trace Ford feels walking into that stadium, too. I think it's going to be public enemy number one going into the stadium as well. So I think that the Bedlam game will be really, really a tough game to win, as well as West Virginia. Who, who would have thought West Virginia coming in would be a tough game? Uh, the way the Mountaineers are playing, I mean, they uh, Neil Brown came in, in, into Big 12 Media Days this summer, you know, really upset that his team was picked last in, in in the media poll. And now they're they're playing their hearts out. They, I mean, if they win out, and even if they lose to Oklahoma, there's still a chance they'd be in the conference championship game with a loss to Oklahoma uh, over Texas. And think, put wrap your arms around that one. So West Virginia could be a tough game for the Sooners. So we'll see. We'll pick Oklahoma State and West Virginia. Those are probably my two, two toughest remaining games for the Sooners. Uh, let's talk trap games too. Uh, uh, trap game for Oklahoma. I'll go first on this one. My trap game for Oklahoma is uh, going to Provo uh, and playing BYU. Uh, this is a BYU team, BYU team that's uh, starting to impress me. The more and more they play, they're getting wins. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's never easy going to Provo and winning a game there. Just ask their rival Utah, uh, especially if it's a night game. I think if Oklahoma keeps winning and if they're undefeated going to Provo late November or mid-November, this game may be a night game, which uh, they play, BYU plays their best at night. And uh, gosh, I, I, I just think that would be a, just a, a wild environment. And uh, boy, you got to bring your hard hat if you go into Provo and play a game there. I had a chance to to cover a game at BYU when I when I was covering Tulsa, I went in 2006 and covered a game. It's been years, 
but I covered a game in Provo and that atmosphere is uh, unlike any other. Um, it was so, so much fun. They love their football down there. And uh, if a, an unbeaten Oklahoma comes into that stadium, I tell you, that's going to be a, a crazy atmosphere. And Oklahoma, that they'd, they'd be playing for their college football playoff lives if they're still undefeated at that time. So I think that could be a huge trap game for Oklahoma. Tough game. Uh, what, what are you going with for a trap game? Yeah, BYU is a really good one. I think kind of maybe the, the next best one is actually uh, Central Florida on the other side of this bye week. I don't think UCF's a very good team. Uh, maybe if they get uh, their quarterback, John Reese Plumley uh, back for this game, that helps them out some. But they just don't look very good uh, so far. But you really just never know coming off these buys what might happen. Uh, you know, if again, it's kind of like the Kansas scenario. If, if OU shows up flat, then, you know, this is a, the kind of team that can make you pay. I think back to 2021 when, OU was undefeated still uh, coming off its bye. I think they were 8-0 and they had a late bye and then they went and played Baylor and just got absolutely demolished. Uh, you know, if you and obviously that Baylor team was really good, a lot better than uh, this UCF team that they're about to face. But, uh, you know, if you come out flat, uh, you know, bad things can't happen. So uh, I fully expect them to be ready coming out of the bye, to be well rested and to put the throttle down on UCF. But uh, it's definitely one to watch. All right, as the media, we can do this. As fans, you can do this. Brent Venables wants no part of the next subject we're going to talk about, but let's talk college football playoff. Uh, we are uh, still three weeks from the first college football rankings. Uh, if Oklahoma does its job uh, against UCF, against Kansas on uh, the 28th, uh, they'll find themselves in the mix in the, the first college football playoff. Of course, there's a lot of football to be played between now and the 1st of December. So, And we've been around this enough to know that, uh, you know, anything can happen. So much can happen. So, uh, you know, there's still a lot of football to be played. I think me and you were talking earlier, you know, we got to keep eyes on the ACC with Florida State. They got Duke, uh, you know, and Michigan, Ohio State, right? They got to play each other. Anything else uh, up there? I mean, there's a lot of football to be played, right? Yeah, uh, where this would get really crazy is if, like, Alabama beat Georgia in, a, in the SEC championship game or something like that. That would be a problem. But, you know, hopefully um, from that standpoint, that doesn't happen. Um, yeah, you're looking at, like you said, uh, Michigan State and Ohio State having to play each other and then maybe Duke can knock off Florida State. Uh, those things would help you out a lot because um, those might adjust, adjust the rankings in front of them. Uh, but I, I think – I think in terms of like an internal focus, right? Uh, the biggest thing for OU, the biggest key is uh, they got to continue to shore up the defense. Danny Stutzman talked about uh, Monday night after practice, that film session that day was really not very fun. And it was because they noticed so many little things uh, where they gave up, they made a little mistake and they gave up big plays uh, that, you know, could hurt them more in the future. And so just, just continuing to, you know, be sound and tackling to, make the right fits and be where you're supposed to be. Uh, that's going to be big for OU moving forward. Obviously, early in the season, uh, they had rep tackling a lot and and their tackling was a lot better. Um, but there's been there's been some inconsistencies with that uh, in this, this kind of towards the end of the first half of the season. And so just continuing to shore up the defense and and continuing to to play better. Uh, is going to be crucial for OU. 
And I think that's it. I mean, of course, you know, for Oklahoma to remain in the college football playoff team, they, they, they you're right. They have to get better on defense. I mean, we've seen night and day improvement, but you're right. They have to continue to make those steps to be even better than what they are now. I think it it continues to be something we've talked about on a week-to-week basis, basis leading up to this point. That's just get better in the run game. They have to find a way to be more consistent in the run game. Uh, they have to find ways to get those running backs to, to eat up more chunk yardage. Uh, you know, they they can't live off, uh, you know, averaging three yards per carry out of their running backs. And the majority, the bulk of the running came from the quarterback against Texas, which isn't a bad thing because you got 113 yards out of Dylan Gabriel. But you need those running backs to do their part, uh, whether it's the offensive line opening holes, whether it's the running backs finding finding gaps, finding lanes to run in or, or making guys miss. you got to have production for those running backs. Uh, you can't be one-dimensional, especially against the better teams. And uh, it, it's become, you know, it's, it's, an, it's an issue. I mean, six games in, uh, you know, it's not, you know, finding the hot hand. It's not, uh, you know, just having one of those games. It really is one of those, it is what it is deals. And if you're Jeff Levy, you just got to find a way to, to, to try to establish do what you can with what you got. And uh, that that's going to be the thing in the second half of the season. You got to really find some way to get the pieces together to find some kind of a running game. And I think that's the key to making this team continue to be a college football playoff team. So we'll see what happens there. All right. Um, anything else, Mason? You got anything else at all? No, I think that's uh-huh. it. <laughs> Well, I'm anxious to look forward to the second half of the season. It's a lot of fun. 6-0 Oklahoma. Uh, you know, what a great run by Britt Venables. 18 games into or 19 games into it. Um, who would have thought it, really, after leaving the, the uh, Cheese at Bowl last year, 6-7. and seven, uh, Just didn't know what this year was going to hold. We heard a lot during the offseason. Here it is now, midseason of the year, 6-0. and uh, Have a really good chance to have a really special season. Uh, Mason and I are excited to cover the Sooners. We'll have everything uh, written. Uh, Mason will have a report card in Sunday's newspaper about where Oklahoma is. We'll start chronicling uh, the UCF game next week. And uh, thank you for listening. You can follow us on our podcast, whatever whatever platform you get, Apple, Google, Spotify, and read all our coverage on TulsaWorld.com, OU Sports Extra. Thanks for listening.